0: We're going to be turning to the book of Proverbs for our opening text this morning. Book of Proverbs, chapter 23. Um, It is always an honor to come before you. It's always an honor to handle the word of the Lord, and I don't take it lightly, so I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for listening and being in the house of the Lord today. How many come expecting God to do something? Amen. Believe the Lord has a plan. Today, to heal and to, to help those who need it. And we're just going to have a good time with the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Proverbs 23 23, it reads, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Amen. Let's all say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be in this place. We thank you for your spirit and your presence that will go before us. God, I ask that you would open up our minds and our hearts today. Help us to hear from you. Help us to lean on you today. Help us to see what we need to see in your word. I pray that we can all grow and mature and draw closer to you. I pray that you'd have your way with the service, have your way with your servant today. I pray that you would use my words, God. Help me to communicate what you place inside of my heart, and we'll give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 Uh, A a title I came up for the lesson today, um, for what the Lord put on my heart, is when to buy and when to sell. When to buy and when to sell. I almost thought about singing this morning. I don't know, I've watched a couple old preachers on YouTube lately and they always led with a song, but I'm not that confident. But a song that... um, came to my mind was, it's an old song, Brother Mooney used to sing it when I was at college. He said, just to walk with him means everything to me. Just to know he's near, his hand is leading me, just to walk with him means everything to me. And that's, that's just a song God has laid on my heart this week. How many know that just to walk with the Lord is it's just everything? It means everything Amen. to me. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So I didn't sing the song, but I told you what it said. All right. Um, over the past few years... There has been a massive shift in the United States housing market. I'm sure if you've seen it, heard of it, some of you might have even been a part of it. And there are an abundance of stories with people selling their house and receiving way over their asking price. It has definitely been what they call a seller's market. And that just simply means it's time to sell your home. This is the best time that you should sell your home. But that also means that it's not the best time to buy a home, and it's not a buyer's market. A news article put it like this. If you've tried to buy a home in the past two years, you have my most profound sympathies. Your experience has probably gone something like this. You found your dream home online, sent photos to your family, visited the premises, or even were gonna buy it without ever seeing it. You got your financial statements in order, you offered uh, a generous 10% over the asking price. But you learned several hours later that no fewer than 831 other people had bid on the same house, and the house ended up going to a couple who paid 50% over asking price. It was all cash, and they even clinched the deal with a contract amendment promising to name their firstborn child after the seller. That uh, that story I found it funny, but it's somewhat true. It has not been very easy to find a house in the past few years, and this is the competition that people faced when purchasing a home. Now, anyone will tell you that it's, it was the best time to sell because you'll come out with a profit and you'll make more money on your investment, on your purchase, on your home. But we have a story in the Bible here where someone was offered way more than what the property was worth, yet for a reason they did not sell. I'm sure some of you here today were probably in that group that received phone calls saying, hey, I got someone that will buy your house right now. People were calling people, trying to find houses. But uh, I want to talk about that story in the Bible, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 1. And it reads, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite... Everyone say Naboth for me. Naboth Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel. And Jezreel uh, is a valley type, so a lot of water and um, the land there was fruitful. It was beautiful to look at. It was a great place to have a vineyard. But uh, at this place, it says, it was hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Verse 2 reads, And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near to my house. And I will give thee for a better vineyard... Um, Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you the money. I'll give you the price of your vineyard. But Naboth said to Ahab in verse 3, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Which was a commandment of the Lord. They were not to sell their their inheritance that they got from their family. And verse 4 reads, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. He threw a pity party. He threw a tantrum because the king did not get what he wanted. But good old Jezebel, in verse 5, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad, and why do you not eat any bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, and I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Do you now govern the kingdom of Israel? You're the king, she says. Arise, eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So just a quick summary. We have Naboth, who's just a simple farmer who has a vineyard that he inherited that's next to the king's palace. He's just a regular old guy. And Ahab sees it and wants it, but Naboth knows the commands of the Lord that he should not sell the inheritance of his fathers. Ahab throws a pity party, and uh, Jezebel takes matters into her own wicked hands. She plans that she's going to call a fast and get a few people. She's going to pay them off. They're going to lie on Naboth, and they're going to say that he blasphemed God and blasphemed the king. This would cause a stoning, and with Naboth out of the picture, Ahab can now have the land that he desires. And we're going to skip down to verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take the possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down, meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. So God called the prophet. He said, go down. There's something wicked happening. I want you to go and um, see what's going on. And the Lord commands Elijah in verse 19, And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off uh, from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Um, Skipping down to verse number 23. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. So just kind of summarize what all that said. So Naboth was lied upon by Jezebel, by the people that she hired. He was dead, and so um, no one was really in charge of the land. So she told Ahab, her husband, the king, go and take the land. And as soon as he went... God sent the man of God to meet him there in the wickedness, what they were doing. And the Lord, uh, through Elijah, prophesied and judged Ahab and his wife, saying that the dogs will lick their blood and that the dogs are going to eat Jezebel and that they're going to cut off the family line, their lineage, because they've done this evil thing. Um, a point that we need to understand that's represented in Scripture, and especially in the story, is that God will always vindicate those who stand for his word. As soon as Ahab went to take the land, God sent the prophet to rebuke him. If you are getting persecuted unjustly, God will always vindicate the righteous. Amen. He will rise up with his strong arm and provide for you. If you stand for him, he will stand for you. Judgment was pronounced on Ahab and Jezebel, all because a simple man was not going to sell his inheritance, The spirit of Jezebel, which we know Scripture says is already at work, never likes being told no. Just a little side note, if you cannot accept, rebuke, or be instructed, I'll be careful to what spirits you're allowing to influence you. Naboth was not a preacher, he was not a prophet, he wasn't even a priest. He was just a simple man following the commands of the Lord. Just because you don't preach in the pulpit doesn't mean that you'll be excused from being attacked by the enemy. But you do not have to worry because God says that vengeance is his and he will repay. Amen. We serve a strong God that performs just judgment. Amen. We don't serve a weak king this morning. Does anyone believe that we serve a strong king? Amen. We serve a strong Lord. He is, the Lord is strong and he is mighty in battle. Amen. And I'm thankful because when I'm in trouble, I want a king that can execute judgment on my behalf. I want a king that can stand for me. I want a king that can go against and fight my enemies for me. Amen. And Naboth gives us an example through his life of how we are not to sell out to this world. He could have gotten so much profit or a way bigger vineyard and a way better spot by selling out to the king, but he would have been disobeying the commandment of God. It's never wrong to do the right thing. In every situation, in every case, it's never wrong to do the right thing. Even if it seems that you're losing or you're being persecuted just for being righteous, you will always win in the end. Amen. And I believe that God is calling for people to rise up like the prophet Elijah, but he's also calling for people to be like Naboth and just remain faithful and follow the commandments of God. You may never call fire from heaven, but you can be the vessel that God uses to proclaim judgment on the enemy. It wasn't until Naboth was executed and wrongly persecuted that God sent the prophet Elijah to execute the judgment upon Jezebel and Ahab. You may never cast out a demon, but your righteous living will force the enemy to fight against your king. And that is a battle that our enemy will never win. Second Kings chapter nine refers to this vineyard. So after the story is long gone. In 2 Kings chapter 9, it still calls the vineyard Naboth's vineyard. If you hold on to this inheritance, it will extend to your generations. You standing strong for this truth will be a blessing to your kids and your kids' kids. I don't know about you, but I want to leave my children with opportunity and as much wealth as I possibly can. But way more than anything, I want to leave them with the inheritance of this truth. Amen. And the best way to do that is to buy it and never, ever sell it. We have to make sure that our homes and our families know what the prized possession is in our homes and in our families. It shouldn't be that new car or that new flat screen TV. It should be the truth and the word of God. Is anyone thankful for the Bible this morning? Is anyone thankful that we have the word of God? Amen. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but this word will not pass away. This word is our bread. It's our spiritual nourishment. It's our compass. It gives us direction when we need it. And anything we know about God comes from his word. So if you don't know God, get in the word. And when you get in the word, he's going to get in you. Amen. 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 Naboth knew the value of his vineyard and the value of obeying the Lord. But not everyone understands the value of what they have story reads of uh, an unidentified woman in France. She was getting ready to sell her house, so she brought an auctioneer to appraise her belongings. The auctioneer quickly noticed a painting hanging above the woman's hot plate in the kitchen. It turned out that the painting was from the 13th century and a long-lost work of a Florentine artist. The masterpiece, known as Christ Mocked, is a part of a series of paintings that depict Jesus' crucifixion. The painting went up to auction and sold for a whopping $26.8 million. Four times expected, uh, the expected price. I want to encourage and challenge someone today to reevaluate the price that you have on this truth. Reevaluate it, because people only sell something when what they receive in exchange is worth more, or they think it's worth more than what they have. How much would you sell this truth for? How much would you sell this doctrine, this worship, this lifestyle, this calling? What is the price that you have on this truth? We have to have a made-up mind and a fixed heart that what we have is priceless. There is nothing that we want more than the truth that we have currently. We can't treat this calling and this lifestyle like a house. There is never a seller's market in the kingdom of God. We always have to buy. We always have to buy in. We always have to get more of the truth of God. And there's never more profit when we sell this truth. Don't lose your inheritance. Finish strong like Pastor preached on Wednesday. We have an inheritance. How many know that? We have an inheritance from the Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We have been grafted in, and we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ, and we have a heavenly inheritance from our Father. Now, one reason why I love the Bible and the Word of God is that it gives us many examples of how to live. Many good and many bad. But in both cases, it gives us clues on how to be successful followers of God and followers of Jesus. And one of the best groups of people to look at is the Big 12, and those were those who actually followed Jesus when he walked on this earth. The 12 disciples were called by Jesus for a reason and a purpose. He was desiring to put something in them that they could distribute to the world. The foreknowledge of God knew before time, that, uh, before time began that Peter would be the type of guy that is so bold that he's going to just cut off somebody's ear. But the Lord also knew that he could use Peter's boldness to preach on the day of Pentecost. God in his infinite wisdom knew exactly what he was doing when he organized the 12 that he did, including the one that sold being Judas. And I want to discuss today Judas because if we're not careful to examine ourselves, it can be hard to see judas-like tendencies in ourselves because when we read scripture it can be easy to kind of take ourselves out of the out of the story and take ourselves and just read about somebody else but scripture is meant for us to reflect it's meant for us to see the things that we need to change and how god can begin to mold us to be who he wants us to be so before we get into it today i want to lay some like kind of ground principles that can easily be blurred when we talk about judas First, uh, I want to say that God does not make mistakes. God didn't make mistakes back then, and God doesn't make mistakes today. I believe that Jesus had plans for Judas just like to be, uh, yeah, just like the rest of the 12. He had plans for Judas to be a minister. Judas had the potential and the capabilities to fulfill that calling. Jesus even gave him power and authority. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 8 says, uh, These twelve, Judas was a part of the twelve, were sent forth, and Jesus commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Judas was a part of this group. He had the authority, borrowed authority from Jesus to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He was a minister. He was a man that was pursuing the calling of God. And so secondly, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But that did not deny Judas of his free will. I'm just going to touch the tip of a very large iceberg and talk about um, predestination today. And very basic and it's really one part of it. But an unbiblical definition of predestination is that God already knows who's going to heaven to hell, and there's nothing that those people can do about it. Uh, this is often seen in a Calvinistic doctrine, and it's where people say, once saved, always saved. Because they believe once God knows who's going to heaven, there's nothing you can do. Your actions do not matter. You are going to heaven, and there's nothing that can change. And we know that's unbiblical, right? God cares about your decisions. God cares about your choices. The true biblical predestination in uh, one example is reference to the body of Christ as a whole. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 and 11 says, That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So uh, when the end of times has come, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He's going to gather everyone together in one because they're all in the body of Christ. Verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance you're in the bride if you're in the body you have an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will predestination is uh widely known as like the, the example that i gave with calvinistic doctrine but in the bible it is not a bad word you see the bride of christ will be saved there will be a church the question is though if you and i will be a part of that bride the church has a predestinated future to go into heaven with the Lord, but we have to choose to be in that body, be in that number. An example I thought of was a plane has a predestin- or train, excuse me, a train has a predestinated destination, right? A train, a plane, anything like that. They have a set destination that they're going to. It's predestinated. But if you don't get on, you're not going to go. Amen. You got to be on the train, you got to be in the bride, you got to be in the body. God knows all things. Yes. But with his power and sovereignty, he does not allow the knowing of someone's eternity to interfere with their free will choices. God knows where everyone's going to end up, but that does not interfere with our free will. God does not force anyone to be saved or anyone to be lost. Anyone can be saved. Whosoever will, let him come. Anyone can be saved, but anyone can also be lost. And this is even true for the humanity of Jesus. Jesus had to submit his human will to the divine will. Jesus had free will, just like you and I, but he was perfect and did not sin. And so uh, it can be easy sometimes to try to think when we talk about Judas, that why would God do that if he knew? Well, Judas had a free will. Judas had a choice. God had good intentions for Judas. Judas had a calling. And I was reading, and a commentator said this question and just really hit home. Uh, the question is, why did Christ choose a man who he knew to have a devil or to be a devil? A hard question, but there is one harder still. Why did Jesus choose you? And it's easy to take ourselves out of Scripture, but when we put ourselves in, it's just e- as easy for any one of us to be like Judas. And thirdly, it was prophesied that these events would happen. It wasn't prophesied that Judas Iscariot was going to be the one that betrayed Jesus um, be- and furthermore than that Judas had opportunities to repent. God knew specifically what would happen. Psalms 41 verse 9 in this prophetic psalm it says, "Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me." Zechariah 11:12 says, "And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price; and if not forbear." So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And in John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71, Jesus answered them. This is early in the Gospels. Jesus answered them, uh, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? Jesus knew. God knew. And 71 says, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the 12. God knows the end from the beginning. It was never prophesied who was going to betray Jesus because it could have been anyone. It could have been anyone of the 12. Judas just allowed his eyes to get off Jesus and to love the things of this world. The beautiful thing is that God knew all of this, and he was still able to turn what Satan meant for evil into the greatest event in all of human history, being the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God knew your mistakes before you made them, yet he still chose you. God knew everything that you were going to do, yet he still chooses you. God is in control. Amen. So now that we've laid those frameworks, let's let's begin to dive into Judas. Matthew chapter 10 is the first place where we find the mention of Judas Iscariot. This is not to be confused with another Judas that is sometimes mentioned in the Gospels. Uh, And that Judas is referring to Jude. But Matthew makes it clear with Judas uh, that he's talking about Judas Iscariot because Matthew, almost every time he mentions Judas, says Judas, the one who betrayed him. Right? He just throws that in there every single time. So, uh, in the scripture, Judas does not get a lot of recognition. He's one of those disciples that is just kind of there. He blends in the back, you know, uh, with like Bartholomew or Simon the Canaanite. You know, people that don't get their own stories. He's not Peter, James, or John. Um, but he's only really known because of his fatal mistake and betrayal. We know nothing of disciples at a young age because the gospels are to talk about Jesus, not the disciples. Except uh, where they were born. So Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is not his last name, but it's a telling of where he was born at, where he's from. And it's uh, Kerioth, which is from the tribe of Judah. And Judas's name is possibly derived from where he grew up, Judas. Uh, it, Judas is simply the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Judah. So Judas, if he was back in the Old Testament, his name would have been Judah. So whether Judas was named by his parents because of the great joy that they had when he was born and they wanted to give praise to God because names had meanings back then, or simply because it's where they lived in their tribe, it still has the same impact to say that praise by itself will not get you to heaven. Judas' name meant praise. That's what Judah means. Praise by itself will not get you to heaven. You can have praise down pat, but that does not mean that you are living right. You can, have, you can praise Jesus and be close to him for three and a half years, but still be lost. Being in the presence of God and praising him does not guarantee that he is even pleased with your actions. Judas praised, Judas preached, and Judas was close to Jesus, but he still sold the truth. Capital T. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He, so, he still sold the truth. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for a hundred years. There will always be the temptation to sell some part of this truth. That goes to show that just uh, coming to church and clapping your hands, maybe even feeling goosebumps or crying, does not equate to a stamp of approval from our Father. Right. Saul, the Bible says, had an evil spirit, but was still able to feel the presence of God when David came and worshipped. We must search the Scriptures and know the commands of God so that we can be in correct alignment with Him. Amen. We, the most we read of Judas is during the final week of Jesus. A few things to note about Judas before we get into the the mistake, the betrayal, is that we know Judas was in charge of the money. John 12, 6 says, This he said not, that he cared um, for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. The disciples, they had money, they had their possessions, but Judas was the one that kind of just carried the bag. He was the one who was in charge. The second thing is that Judas had multiple opportunities to repent. The scripture that I read earlier uh, that Jesus said... Have I not chose you 12 and one of them is a devil? Jesus did not say who it was, but all of the disciples should have reflected at that moment. I believe that's why Jesus said it that way. He said, one of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. No doubt all of the 12 disciples were like, oh man, man, I got to make sure it's not me. Is it me? You know, it caused self-reflection. And this was sometime early in the Gospels. It wasn't when Judas had already made up his mind. And then another example is that at the Last Supper, when Jesus revealed his secret, revealed the betrayal, revealed his plans to everyone, he did not have to flee. He could have repented right there, right? He could have asked for forgiveness right there. Judas had many opportunities and chances to repent. But Judas had allowed compromise and the enemy to creep in long before he went to the Pharisees to sell out Jesus. So now, let's skip forward to the week. Uh, Leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus is in Bethany. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And they they are six days away from the Passover. They have a feast. And this is where Mary breaks her alabaster box. And anoints and washes Jesus' feet. And the cool thing about the alabaster box. Is that the spices she used. Are actually the same spices that they used. To prepare a body for burial. Her worship was in a way prophetic. Of what was going to come for Jesus. But Judas however cannot help himself. And in the story, he complains that the expensive ointment could have been used for the poor. His real intent, however, the Bible says he was a thief. His real intent was probably give some to the poor and pocket the rest of the money. We have to be careful of people who are more worried about social issues than they are about true worship. I'm not saying social issues are bad. We are supposed to give to the poor, but true worship is more important than some of those social issues. After Judas was going against the worship of Mary, he went out and sought the priest to betray Jesus. I want to notice the progression here. He had a problem with someone's worship, and uh, it seems that he had a lack of his own worship. It is difficult to have a problem with someone's other, you know, someone else's worship if you are worshiping yourself. Amen. Judas was too busy observing and judging Mary to have an ounce of worship that he was performing himself. And after that, he went out alone. Isolation is a powerful tool. And I say too because God can use isolation sometimes, but so can the enemy. It can be good or bad. There will, be, there will always be a safety in the multitude of counselors, the, the scripture says. And Judas separated himself and did not consult anyone because he knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew it was a sin. If your decision does not please God and you have to be sneaky about it, it probably is not a good decision. And so Judas agreed to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, like it was prophesied in Zechariah. And that's actually the same amount for the cost of a slave. So Judas traded Jesus for the cost of a slave. And all the 12 are gathered, and Jesus washes their feet right before the Last Supper. And Judas was a part of the 12. Jesus washed Judas' feet after Judas had already went to the chief priest and already got the money. So no doubt... I can only imagine that Judas is sitting there, or standing there, and Jesus, the Savior of the world, is washing his feet. And the, the conviction that he feels, knowing that he had already sold out Jesus to the Pharisees. No doubt that he thought, man, man, I got to confess, or man, I got to repent. Judas had chances to change his life. Amen. But Jesus finally reveals who gives sop, uh, who gives um, The sop, who he gives the sop to, will be the one that will betray him. Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, revealing that Judas is the one that was to betray him. And Judas is finally revealed and he leaves the supper and flees away. The sad part is that right after this, Jesus performs the Last Supper when he looks at the disciples and says, Take, this is part of my body. Take, this is my blood. But Judas was not a part of that number. I wonder what would have happened if Judas would have been there to hear the words of the Savior say, Take, this is my body. Take. This is my blood. But the fact is that Judas had made up in his mind that there was no turning back, and what he did was done. So this then leads us to Judas going to the chief priest and leading them to Jesus in the garden. Judas, using a sign of affection and closeness with the kiss, signified to the mob who they were looking for. Jesus is led away, but not without giving Judas one last chance of repentance. He looks at Judas in Matthew's account and says, Friend, why are you come? A rhetorical question that no doubt shook Judas to his core when the Savior looked at him, the one who he betrayed, and said, friend. The man who he had just sold for the price of a slave looked at him and said, friend, what are you doing? This expedited the Pharisees' plan of execution, and Jesus was soon to be crucified. I can only imagine the thoughts of Judas and the hours between the betrayal and Jesus' crucifixion. Knowing the human mind and the enemy's lies and his ways, Judas was probably filled with guilt, shame, and hopelessness. We know that he was remorseful because he went and took and threw the money back at the priest in the temple. The devil had so much to say in his life that he convinced Judas that God could never forgive him. And the only way to end the pain and end the condemnation is to die. Judas hangs himself in pain and dies a painful death. You see, the enemy uses the same tactics Today. He wants nothing more than to convince you that there is no way out and that God has forsaken you. The spirit of suicide that is running rampant in our world is a lie and device of the enemy that that he uses to rob people of their inheritance. Don't lose sight of your goal. Don't lose sight of where we are going. As long as you are breathing, there is a chance for you to be forgiven and there is a chance for you to be reconciled to the master. Amen. Peter denied Christ, but he repented when Jesus came and asked him three times if he loved him after he rose from the grave. Judas could have repented, and it's not over until the master says it's over. Like Brother Austin preached recently, the devil is a liar, but Judas sold the truth and thought there was no way that he could ever buy it again. The truth is that Judas could have bought the truth because the price for the truth was about to be paid by Jesus. The saddest part of the story, in my opinion, is that Jesus took the pen from the master and finished his life story before the greatest event in all of history. Judas sacrificed his life before he gave Jesus an opportunity to sacrifice his for him. Judas was hours away from the Lamb of God being slain and the sins of humanity being nailed to the cross. He was hours away from the blood of Jesus being poured out, yet He gave up, yet he sold the truth. And even after that, he was only 50 days away, the day of Pentecost. He was only 50 days away from the Holy Spirit being poured out on the earth. I wanted to tell somebody today, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. You can be hours away from God making a way in your life. You can be hours away from the provision of God. Even if you've turned your back on Jesus, he is waiting for you to come back to the Father's house. Don't allow the devil to convince you that it is all over. The devil is a liar. You could be hours away from your healing. You could be hours away from your miracle. It can happen today. And if not hours less than two months, 50 days away, Judas was 50 days away from receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. He would have been in that upper room. He was a part of the 12. 50 days I've come with a simple message today. Just hold on. Don't sell this truth. Don't sell this gospel. Your breakthrough can be today. Your healing can be today. Your answer prayer is right around the corner. Do not give up. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, and he has to flee. God did not give you the spirit of fear because of, that goes to bondage. The devil likes to use fear because it holds you back. It's bondage. You, you clam up, you close, you can't pray, you can't read your Bible, you can't do anything. That's what fear does. But we are the children of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. He gave us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It's not the will of God for you to live in fear. It's not the will of God for you to be clammed up and controlled by the enemy and by his lies. It's the will of God for you to live in freedom, in the freedom of his word. God is working behind the scenes. Just think about that. You are days away from God making a way in your wilderness. Even if you feel like Naboth and you have nothing but a simple word from the Lord, hold on to that word with every ounce in your body. Hold on to what he has told you. Hold on to the promise that he has given to you. Hold on to his unchanging hand. So I ask you today the rhetorical question, when is the right time to sell? It's never the right time to sell. Buy this truth every day. Stay in the fight. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. And watch what God will do in your life. Because if not, you let the enemy lies get in your mind and uh, you don't talk to anyone. You isolate yourself. You can't uh, counsel with anyone. He'll convince you that the only way out is suicide. He'll convince you that the only way out is spiritual suicide. Just leave the church. Just leave this lifestyle. Leave the doctrine. Just let it go. It's too hard. But if you can resist, if you can fight back, if you can muster up the strength to, it doesn't matter if you crawl to the Bible. It doesn't matter if you crawl to him in prayer. If you can muster up the strength to rebuke the devil and to resist the devil, you will be hours away from a miraculous event. Hours. Judas was hours away. He killed himself. He committed suicide hours before Jesus died on the cross. So I just want to come encourage the body today. Don't give up. Even if you're feeling persecuted by Jezebel or by Ahab or by this world, by your boss, by your family, do not give up. Keep holding on to the word of the Lord. Keep holding on to the promise that God has given you. Because you could be hours, you could be days away from the promise that God has for your life. Amen. Let's all stand. I believe that the Lord has a plan for us today. I believe that God wants to do miraculous things in this house. I believe that God wants to, someone to be encouraged. And that's why I feel like he put this word on my heart. You can be hours. You can be days away. Do not sell. Don't give up. There's nothing better than this life. There's nothing better than living for Jesus. There is nothing better than what we have in this truth. Amen. Let's all pray uh, say a word of prayer.